Gordon, thank you for joining us. I'm wondering how you actually get people to come on board with the Glonu app to do their transparency in how they deal with modern slavery. So what Good On You does is try to give people information about the sustainability and ethical performance of a wide number of brands, both those that do well and those that do badly, because we know people are interested in uh, a wide range of potential shopping options. And so because we want people to have access to data on a very large number of brands, it's uh, our aim to have every brand on there and we we assess information based on what is publicly available, how transparent the brand is being. It all comes from the position that consumers have a right to know how the brands they are shopping impact on the issues that they care about. And so brands, we believe, have an obligation to publish accurate and concrete information about how they are addressing the issues of concern, including the various issues under the heading of modern slavery, like working conditions, wages, and so forth. Yeah. So it's not it's more of an exposed um, option for people to be able to see how well their brands are stacking up. It's not necessarily a voluntarily a voluntary option by brands to be on the Good on You app. That's right. It's not like a certification scheme where a brand will pay to have their their supply chain audited um, or otherwise assessed. Um, against certain criteria. Instead, it's saying every brand should be transparent, every brand should be giving specific, concrete, relevant and accurate information about what they're doing to address the issues consumers care about, um, including modern slavery, but also other issues such as environmental and animal issues that consumers care about. Sure. And these, uh, this set of criteria, you've obviously developed yourselves. Um, what does it mean when you're assessing someone in, and, and I'm purely asking about modern slavery here, there's a yeah. lot of issues with fashion, but primarily with modern slavery, how do you assess that? So what we've done across the board is look at um, what might be considered best practice by researchers, by NGOs, by unions, by industry bodies about what brands should be doing to address modern slavery and labour rights abuses generally. And so we set a number of criteria around transparency, around traceability of their supply chain, around whether they pay living wages or not, whether they have a code of conduct, whether they work with unions, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we identify the issues that are important. We consult on that with a wide range of organisations and we then assess the extent to which brands are uh, delivering against those important criteria. Sure. It seems to me that it doesn't matter what we touch nowadays. There seems to be some kind of enslavement happening in some kind of supply chain unless we actually access information like what you're providing. Is it feasible to think that at some point in the next five to ten years that you'll definitely see brands change because of applications like the Good On You app? Well, I think there's actually a range of different pressures applying on brands to do better. They include activism from civil society organisations, they include the work of unions, they include the work of rating systems like Good On You, they include consumers making choices based on the information they're getting from brands directly or from sources like Good On You or Fashion Revolution. And we are seeing brands, and they include, of course, legislation like the Modern Slavery Act in Australia. And so all these constellations of different factors are pressuring many brands to do better because they know that if they're not doing better, then they're 
customers and or their investors and or their employees will be dissatisfied and go elsewhere. When consumers actually are given the education to make better choices, do we not then push people into worse situations because those brands are then struggling? Is there a magical change over period where if we push a brand and say, we're not going to buy your products anymore because of X, Y, Z, does that then not push those people in those situations to be a bit more vulnerable and a bit more exploited? So are you suggesting that if, uh, you know, a large global fashion brand that was not giving particularly good conditions to its workers uh, was uh, selling less stuff, they would uh, further crack down on the work, the conditions and or... If there's a, a job loss, for example, then you're going to be putting pressure on those vulnerable communities and therefore exacerbating the, the issue. The first thing to say is that the economic system is incredibly complex and incredibly dynamic and subject to a whole wide range of factors, like, you know, things like companies like Adidas developing what are called SoBots, so uh, mechanised ways to make products. There's 3D printing, which can make products. So these are going to have incredible impacts on the supply chains. I mean, the supply chains we have, uh, in fashion, which are largely um, outsourcing to Asian countries and more recently Ethiopia um, and Eastern Europe and Turkey, but very much centred in Asia. The production of clothes, which were made in consumer countries until 30 or 40 years ago, I mean, that, that's a relatively recent change and we will have more change and automation and so forth will be one of those potential changes. So there's a lot going on. I think it's very hard to say that change X leads to result Y all the time. However, that said, I think it's really clear that if you buy from brands that are doing the right thing, then you can be sure that the working conditions of the people in their supply chain are improved and that they're able to avoid or escape from modern slavery. And so you are creating good to that extent. Um, and if there is job losses in one place, then hopefully they're made up by jobs in another place where the conditions are better. I think probably equally significant though is that it doesn't, it's not like 5% of consumers moving away from fast fashion brand A to um, more sustainable options will immediately drive fast fashion brand A out of business. It's not like any, any given factory is only supplying one fast fashion brand. Factories that have had problems are often supplying a range of brands, and those brands have different degrees of attention to the issues. I think it's quite complicated to draw that conclusion. And I, some of those big brands are trying to do better and they're trying to do better because of pressure from unions, NGOs, customers and investors. That means that the working conditions of the people affected are potentially improved. The work conditions, I know that you can't comment directly because it's not the field that you're, you're working in, but there's a couple of brands that I've been watching that have implemented uh, training programs, education programs for their workers and also, in, you know, implemented living wages. It's very hard to understand when we're in the West what exactly a living wage constitutes as in um, Asia, especially when we've got white privilege and we go travelling there and our living wages completely doesn't even come close to what theirs is. Do you have any idea? Yeah, so there are a couple of there are a couple of living wage methodologies that have been widely endorsed. A group called the Asia Law Wage Alliance has proposed a definition, and there's another definition called 
anchor and people like Oxfam and the Act on Living Wages Coalition, which is a global coalition of brands and unions, have adopted those definitions there. They've been done for some countries, not others. But essentially, the basic approach is to say, how much does it, does it cost people in that country to meet the needs of a, a four-person family, two adults and two children, um, with uh, all, the, all the basics and 10% of their income available for discretionary expenses. So it's not um, by any means uh, a super comfortable existence, but it's one that they can, that people can get by on. Proposal, obviously, so that's a minimum standard. The unfortunate thing is that in important supply countries like Bangladesh, Cambodia and Vietnam, um, there are many, many, many factories where the basic wage is the minimum wage for the country, and that's well below it. When you are assessing a brand and you look at the end product being on the shelf for, let's just say, a T-shirt, for example, for $9. Mm-hmm. I'm a sewer and I can't actually even buy a metre of fabric to create a T-shirt, let alone what my labour costs in order to do that. Yep. Is that, is, does, is that a, an instant warning bell as a consumer to be asking that question? Why is this T-shirt $9 when that T-shirt is $40? So there's a few things there. Certainly people have assessed that it actually would not create, not require much of an increase in the price of that T-shirt to pay living wages. Um, obviously the fabric costs are going to be lower in uh, some countries closer to the source than they would in Australia where you've had a few middle person's markups doubling the price a couple of times along the way. But still, um, the, the short answer to your question is yes, when you see something that's ridiculously cheap, then it, somebody is paying the cost. Either it's being it's either a loss leader for the retailer or as likely the production costs have been pushed down. And one of the key initiatives that Act on Living Wages has been promoting is that the purchasing practices of brands, like the price that they pay to the factory, uh, and the way in which they bargain those prices respects the need for a factory to pay a living wage to their to their workers. Um, we've got a way to go. I mean, very few brands uh, brands have been talking. Some brands have been talking about living wages for a while, and even making commitments. Very few are getting it right um, in terms of the major fashion brands. Um, it was really pleasing recently to see a bunch of them sign up to the Act on Living Wages Initiative, which brings together, as I said, unions and and major brands to make a commitment. And the first step they've agreed is to use purchasing practices which don't squeeze wages when they're trying to get a good deal for them. But look, if you see stuff that is too cheap, then that is a, a warning sign that the environment and or people have paid the price that you're not paying. One thing to bear in mind, people say, oh, but I have to buy cheap clothes. Clothes are four times as cheap as they were 20, 25 years ago. We spend much, much less of our weekly average income on clothing than we did 50 years ago. It's gone down from something like 50% to 20% of households income on clothes and food. And as I said, the price of clothes has stayed the same whilst our wages and incomes have increased um, three or four fold over 20, 25 years. So knowing that information and, and having your finger on the pulse, is that where the concept and the idea to create the Good On You app come from? Because you've worked previously in, in consumer advocacy? Yeah, so I was a long-time consumer advocate for various organisations, including Choice. We became aware at Choice that consumers were, many, many consumers were interested in 
the environmental and social and animal impacts of the stuff they buy. And so Good On You was created because we observed that it's really hard to find out accurate information for many brands. Of course, there are small numbers of brands that are things like fair trade certified or organic certified, but often the kinds of products that you want to buy or need to, to wear to work or to go to a party don't have those certifications and you don't know which brands are better than others. And so our objective is to let 